If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be starting with verse 20. And then you'll want to hold your finger there because we're going to skip over to Genesis. As I've said often during this time that we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, that I've called it the Hall of Fame of Faith chapter, and it lists a number of people who have done some extraordinary beliefs in God. I've also compared it to some sports halls of fame where people, whether it be football or baseball or basketball, have certain talents that have been recognized over a career and they're voted into the hall of fame. I don't have a vote in any of those halls. Uh, other people do. I don't have a vote in the, who got written into chapter 11. Um, sometimes you might want to debate it like many people do. Um, so I'll, I'll come up with an imaginary baseball player. This imaginary baseball player hit more home runs than Hank Henry Aaron or Babe Ruth combined. But every other time he was that bad, he struck out. He was so bad as a defensive player that when the analytics said that the batter would hit it to the right side of the field, they'd put him on the left side. And when analytics said it would be on the left, they switch him around because he was such a bad defensive player. And at the late in innings, they would just take him out because the, he was such a bad defensive player. Now you could argue that because he hit so many home runs, he ought to be in the hall of fame. Or you could say he was a home run hitter, but he was a lousy baseball player. And you could argue back and forth, whether that person should be in the hall of fame. What is great about Hebrews chapter 11 is that there are some people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham that you say, yeah, there's no doubt they ought to be in the hall of fame. But two of the three gentlemen we're going to talk about today, we could argue maybe they should or shouldn't be placed in here, but I didn't get a vote. Okay, it's not up to me to decide, which tells me something. And what I, why I'm saying this is to give you encouragement, because in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about us potentially being in the Hall of Fame. Is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to be close. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, it says this. By faith, Isaac. Bless Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Now, I want you to go back. We won't go to that particular passage, but there came a time when Isaac was going to give his blessings to Esau and to Jacob. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Isaac started out great when it comes to faith because he went with his father Abraham to Mount Moriah to be offered as a sacrifice, testing Abraham, whether Abraham trusted God regardless. And Isaac, through obedience and submission and faith, allowed his father to offer him as a potential sacrifice. Now, Isaac, as a patriarch, though he lived longer than any other of the three patriarchs, 
has less amount of materials in Genesis about him. Unfortunately, Isaac does what many of we do in our families. He follows some of the very bad examples that his father did. When he was concerned that, that people might think that his wife was super beautiful, which she was, and that they might eliminate him so that they might him, he said, tell them you're my sister. At least with Abraham, it was half true. When it came to Isaac, they were related. They weren't brothers and sisters. But he would make the same bad decisions that Abraham often did. So you go, huh. And then when it came to this blessing, it's in, the entire family isn't something that you would be, if you, let's say, in faith proud of. Esau, the oldest, sold his birthright because he was hungry. Which should tell us something. Appetites do not last long once you try to fill them. So he sold his birthright for one meal. And I don't care how great that meal is and how stuffed you are at the end of that meal, you will be hungry again. That's how little Esau was concerned about his birthright. But now, interesting, his father Isaac was about now to... to do the blessings. And what was he going to do prior? He goes, make me a savory meal. And then I'll give you the blessings. And so Esau goes out to hunt, to get that savory, to cook him, because Isaac wants something temporary. His wife, the mother of the two boys, who are twins, but apparently they're maternal, I mean, paternal rather than maternal trends, because one's hairier than the other, so they're not identical. She conspires with Jacob to make a savory meal and then put on a disguise so that he might get the blessing that Esau is supposed to get. So he prepares this meal, and then he takes it in, having covered himself so he's all hairy, to disguise himself. And Isaac, who can't see very well, fills him in and goes, first off, this is too quick. You had to go hunt, get, make it come. Jacob, being the truthful man he is, lied. He goes, well, the Lord gave me, well, he didn't say the Lord. He says, your God gave me the game. And so he cooks, made the meal and, and, Isaac kept checking to make sure, well, yeah, he's hairy, but it doesn't quite smell the same, whatever. And he eats it and he enjoys the meal. Again, very temporary. And he blesses Jacob. No sooner as he blessed Jacob and he leaves, Esau comes in with his meal. And Isaac goes, too late. I already gave the blessing. And Esau is is panicked because he wants the blessing. And he goes, Father, obviously you can bless me. There's got to be more than one blessing. And the blessing he gives Esau is not that great. He says, you're going to serve your your younger brother and all that, but you'll be a good people. And there's going to come a time when you'll be free. And it's kind of like, wonderful. That's an awesome blessing. And because of the dysfunction of the family and because of these things, Esau 
now decides he wants to kill his brother. We're back to Cain and Abel. His mom is afraid that Esau will do what he threatens to do. So he, she comes up with a, a good line and, and whatever she says, I don't want him marrying these Canaanite women. So we need to send him off to marry the right kind of people. And she's thinking, one, it gets him a good wife, and two, Esau can't kill him. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, verse 1, it says, So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people. May he also give you the blessings of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your soldiering which God gave to Abraham. That's the blessing in faith. Not the one where he was getting a meal and he got a, a really special blessing. But here, Isaac is blessing Jacob in faith, saying, God made promises to Abraham, my father. Those promises are still valid, though we haven't seen us take the land. So you are to be that one who's to hold on to that blessing. So Isaac blesses Jacob in faith. He says, I haven't seen it yet, but God is still going to deliver. And so Isaac, though I don't think is a quote unquote air brackets, man of faith, he does act in faith. And the scripture says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the encouraging words here is, it's, it's graded on a curve. You don't have to be super special faith agent. You just need to trust God and trust him when he makes promises. And that's what Isaac did. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on his staff. Now there's some discussion about leaning on his staff because Hebrew letters are written in all consonants and no vowels. It could be he was leaning on a staff, or it could be he was laying in bed. I don't care. The fact of the matter is, he's making a blessing. He blesses all of his children, but he gives a double blessing to Joseph's two children. And I want us again to go to, he, uh, to Genesis chapter 48. And I'll let our, the people in the back know that I'm jumping a little further ahead. Instead of 17, we're going to start with um, 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, 
he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel so dim with, from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. Now notice that here's just like the grandfather, Isaac was poor of sight when it happened. But there's this affection for Joseph's children as opposed to Isaac who just wanted a good meal. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. Behold, God has let me see your children as well. For you see, they had told Joseph, they had told Jacob that Joseph was dead. So he never expected to see Joseph again. And God said, thank you, God, that not only did I get to see Joseph, I got to see his children. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right, and brought them close to him. So what he's doing, he's lining up the kids so the older one gets the right hand of blessing and the younger one gets the left hand of blessing. So he's setting it up. He's kind of doing what his father did. He's setting up the previous correct blessings. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God whom has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob is giving Joseph's children a special blessing over and above what he gave to his other 11 children. But he's giving Joseph children, if you will, a double blessing for each of the children. And when jo Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He will also become a people and he will also be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he and on his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day saying, by you, Israel, be pronounced blessing saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die. But God will make be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hands of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Jacob is pronouncing again in faith. He's saying in the promised land, which we're not now in, we will be there someday. And in that promised land, Joseph's children are going to have a double portion. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh each get a portion in the promised land. 
the children of Levi get no portion because they're going to be priests throughout. And so in faith, Jacob says there will be a double portion. So in faith, he's saying, I'm looking to the day when we, our people will be back in the promised land. And when that happens, you'll get a double portion. Again, Jacob was a supplanter. He was the fighter with God. And I, and I interesting because a lot of Genesis, when it talks, Jacob is always saying, your God, your God. And eventually it starts to become my God. You see, Jacob wasn't perfect. But he believed God. And he said, God was my shepherd. And the last person we're going to speak about today, we'll find back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Now I want you to jump to back to Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. It says this. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Notice, he recounts that God had made a promise to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And Joseph acknowledges that promise and again knows that they are still living in Egypt. But there will be a day when they will return. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph not only believed God's promise so much that he said, yeah, he made that promise to Abraham. He made that promise to Isaac. He made that promise to Jacob. And I believe those promises. And even though we are living now in Egypt, God is going to take us and he's going to put us in that promised land. And when that happens, take my bones with you. There's faith that I know even when I'm dead, I want you to do it because I believe God that much. There's a Newton who somehow was in Virginia. And in that Newton was there at least by 1745 because he had at least two sons 
The first son was born. It's called George. And George was born in 1745. And then he had another son named John Newton, who was born sometime after that. John lived in Cumberland County, Virginia, until 1782, when he bought some land and moved to Buckingham County, Virginia, and bought land throughout the 1780s and 90s. And also the records say that he also sold some land to his children and that he probably not only was a farmer, but he also raised beef cattle. I'm talking about a history back to the 1740s. Now, most of you probably don't know your ancestors that far back, some 370 years. The interesting thing about John Newton, John Newton was my ancestor on my father's side and my mother's side. And I know something about him. Do you know what I don't know about him? I can presume certain things. I know he owned some land. I know he sold some land. There were public records. But I don't know about, a, about John Newton's faith. You know about him buying some land and selling some land and maybe raising some beef cattle. It is my prayer and hope that if Jesus tarries for another 370 plus years, that my descendants will know my faith. Whether they knew I was an attorney or a pastor or whatever, that they might, my ancestors might know my faith. Now I do have one slight advantage about my faith is that for the last number of years, We've been recording my sermons. But I also understand technology changes. Because we used to have Betamax and VHS, and we have CDs and DVDs, and now we have thumb drives and whatever. So in 370 plus years, I don't know if the technology we have today will even work then. but I would much rather them know my faith than know what I did. Joseph believed that his descendants would know his faith because he charged them to say, when you leave here, because God's promised it, take my bones with you. And they had to know that for almost 400 years. Son to son to son to son had to say, remember Joseph, Take his bones. He's buried over there in a casket. And when we go, we got to take him too. That's faith. That you expect people 400 years from now to remember your faith and to take you with them. The last scripture I want us to look at is found in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. Jesus speaking when his disciples are troubled. 
says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? He's saying, if we don't know the destination, how do we find the, the journey? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I believe that. I believe that he is God. I believe that he is the resurrection. I believe that he is the life. I believe that he is preparing a place for me and a place for those who believe in him. And when he's done making that preparation, he's coming back. Now, here's a great thing. Joseph had to tell descendant after descendant after descendant, to make sure you tell everybody to take my bones. I don't got to tell none of you because Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, I'm coming up. up. If I'm dead, I'm getting a six foot head start or whatever it is. If I'm a bunch of ashes and I'll reappear that way. However, my body finds a being, God's going to reassemble it and meet me. I'm going to meet him in the air and we're going to come back and we're going to be with him. I believe it. And I pray and hope and desire that if Lord tarries 400 years from now, my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-grandchildren, all those people, I hope they know about my faith, but if they don't, it's okay, because Jesus got me anyway. You see, faith is not what we read about in the Bible. Faith is responding to what the Word of God is. And Jesus says, he's going to prepare a place and he's coming back. I believe him. And I encourage you to exercise that faith. By exercising that faith, I get torn sometimes. Because sometimes I look at the world and when they die, when they're in the process of dying, they become fearful oftentimes because they don't know what's out there. They've been living their lives as if there's nothing out there. Then they're afraid there's nothing out there. But then they're also afraid who might be judging who's out there. So they're fearful. Me as being a believer on the other hand says, that's the easy part of faith. It's easy to die in faith. Although I'm not on my deathbed, so it's easy for me to say that. But I'm assuming that it's because I believe him, it's easier to die in my faith. Here's the hard part. Living it. Actually living your life as if he's coming back. Actually living your life when you do what he tells you to do. Things like love one another as he's loved us. To give one another. To pray for one another. To make sure each of our interests are more important than ours. That's hard. Because most people I met don't care for their interests. But that's not how I'm taught to live. So I think 
living faith is more difficult. But part of living faith is passing on our faith. Isn't it wonderful that Joseph could take it to his father and talk about his grandfather and his great-grandfather? Wouldn't it be awesome? Four generations from now, people say, I'm the God of Joseph, the God of Joseph, and the God of Joseph and Luke, and the God of whoever, who is their children, and God. They repeat that I and their grandmother were the starts of their faith. And then they move on, saying generation after generation after generation is still in the faith. And it's not because I'm great. As a matter of fact, there is no one who's ever received grace that was ever entitled to it. No one ever deserved grace. As a matter of fact, the whole definition is unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but it's God who gives it. that grace and that faith generation after generation after generation. We pass it on, not just in death, but we pass it on in life, which makes it meaningful to the following generations because we believe in his promises. It doesn't matter what circumstances say. Joseph, was hated so much by his brothers that they thought about killing him, but instead sold him into slavery. And he was sold and bought as a slave and then was accused of unrighteousness and was set in prison. And then, because of God's blessings, was placed in front of Pharaoh and became not just a slave, but the second most important person in Egypt. The only person more important to him was Pharaoh himself. And Joseph didn't hate his brothers. He understood that God was in control. God was sovereign, and God had sent him there to prepare a place for his family, that they might be preserved and come out as a nation. Maybe, just maybe, the difficulties you and I are having isn't for the here and now, but to prepare us in the future of blessings. Because his promises, no matter what the circumstances appear, will always be yes and amen, will always come true. And that's the faith that we need. And by having that faith, you and I can be placed in the hall of fame of faith. And all God's people said,